This is the kind of man who basically says the same thing no matter who he's talking to. He doesn't speak and say one thing with one group because that's what they want to hear and then goes over to the next room and says something entirely different because that's the opinion of that group. No, the one who is qualified to be a deacon is one who is not double-tongued. They speak with a singleness of mind and of speech. So they're not hypocrites. So that's a man of sound speech. Secondly, they're men of self-control. Now let me, let me stop right here for just a second and say this. This process of coming to bring this message and, the, and, and begin to ask for nominations for deacons took quite a bit longer than I was expecting. And uh, one of the reasons is that when I met with the deacons over these past several months, we've wanted to go back to the Bible and take very seriously what it says. And it has caused us to go back to the Word and say, what are the range of possibilities here? How do we understand this? And so we really tried to mull over these things. And uh, I will just tell you this. We came to different places about different things, about how this actually plays out in everyday life. In other words, we all, in general, saw the same things, but when it got to what kind of life does this person live, it may have led us in different directions. And so we wanted to take our time and get to the point where we could all come to a point of saying, you know, I can agree with that. I can agree with that. So what I'm presenting to you today is the way, after meeting together for months, that our deacons have basically felt. But I'm going to give you some variety in some of these things, and, and, and this is one of them. It comes to the point of not being addicted to much wine. That is a person that is not controlled. They're not an alcoholic. They're not prone to drunkenness. But does that mean, one of the questions we ask is, does that mean that they are never allowed to let alcohol touch their lips. Is that what that means? And I will be the first to tell you that I came to that discussion and said, I don't get that from this passage. You can't get that from this passage. But there are a host of other issues at play. But for me, one of the big things was, I want to say what the Bible says, but not anymore. Wait, <laughs> let me rephrase that. I want to say what the Bible says, but I don't want to add to it a bunch of extra stuff. Okay, And so when I come to this, and I consider a passage like it says, Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, you need to use a little wine for your stomach's sake. What he's not telling Timothy to do is go hang out at the bar. There's a medicinal use there. And so we need to recognize how the Bible comes at the issue of alcohol. But one of the big things for me was, I don't want us to confuse a set of laws and rules with the gospel. Okay? And in fact, I read this passage to the deacons in one of our meetings, Colossians chapter 2. I won't give you the whole thing, but basically Colossians 2 says, don't let anyone judge you in regard to food and drink or disqualify you, insisting on ascetic practices, that is, meaning do without. Paul talks a lot about our freedoms. And he says, you know, these ascetic practices these strict rules that you can't do this, you can't do this, you can't do this. He says these things have the appearance of wisdom, but they actually lack value in curbing self-indulgence. So in other words, it would be very easy to come with a bunch of rules and lose sight of the gospel. And what changes people in their behavior is a heart change with the gospel. 
It's not us giving a bunch of laws and rules. So I, I came with that. But we need to realize that there are a host of other biblical issues at play, specifically when it comes with al- to alcohol. One is, Galatians 5 says very clearly, that those who practice drunkenness and carousing will not inherit the kingdom of God. That's a pretty serious statement when you think about the use of alcohol. There are other issues at play. In fact, 1 Corinthians is one of them. We need to realize that we should not insist on doing our thing as Christians when we know that in our eating or in our drinking, we can prick the other person's conscience. We can be a stumbling block to other people by what we condone and what we do. And Paul specifically speaks about alcohol as one of those issues. And here's the thing. We need to realize that a lot of Christians in our church have come out of lives where maybe they have personally been plagued by alcohol and drunkenness. And so to see a Christian brother or sister being flippant about alcohol is a hard thing. Some have come out of situations where they've been abused by alcoholic parents or spouses. And to see other Christians being flippant about alcohol can be a very difficult thing. So I say all that to say, the deacon is not to be a person who is addicted to alcohol. I would look at it this way. A deacon needs to be the kind of person who is willing to say, I'll totally forgo that because that's an issue for other people. Does it say that they can never drink a glass of wine or something like that. This does not say that. It doesn't say that, but it clearly says they are not to be the kind of person who is addicted. I think of an addict as someone who can't give something up, don't you? They have to have it. Okay, and so this was one of the issues that I wanted to say, you know, we need to be very clear. And I'll tell you, there was a variety of opinions about what is required here, but what the Bible requires, I can tell you, is this cannot be a person who is prone to drunkenness. A person who uses alcohol in a way that they can't do without it and that it leads them to a point of drunkenness. That is explicitly clear. So we're talking about men of self-control. Men who don't have to have alcohol, but also self-control when it comes to money and things. This is a man who is not given over to greed and dishonest gain. And I'm going to tell you, if I'm honest, I'm going to say that's probably the bigger issue. That's probably a bigger issue in our day is a love of money. And so the deacon is not to be the kind of person who loves money, craves after material goods to the point they're willing to do anything to get them. All right? So men of self-discipline and self-control, men of good repute, also men sound in the faith. And it's easy to look over this one. These need to be men who hold and cling tightly to the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. Again, this would be something very easy for us to look over. You would say, well, we're going to find a guy who who shows up at church regularly. He's always here. And that's a good thing. We certainly want men who are committed to the local church. But we need to make sure that they're also committed fully and wholeheartedly to Jesus and to the doctrines of the faith. Because I will tell you, it is possible to be at church three times a week and not believe with all of your heart the things that are spoken. 
So we want to make sure, and the Bible says these need to be men who are clearly sound in the faith. D.A. Carson, who's one of the great Bible scholars of our day, he says that this one thing may be the most important in all of this list, that these men must be sound in the faith. They believe what the Bible says. They believe that Jesus is the only way. They believe the true doctrines of the Bible and of the church. So this is really important. Okay? So, the deacon's personal life, and then it moves into the deacon's family life. You can glance down at verse 11. This is another big one. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Deacon's wives, verse 11. D.A. Carson also writes about this one. Listen to this. Verse 11 looks like a pause or an interlude. And some have suggested that, that it points to an order of deaconesses. Although such an order is not impossible, the primary reference is probably to deacons' wives. So if we're going to take this, verse 11, as deacons' wives, what does it say about the deacons' wife? It says that they need to be uh, dignified. This is verse 11. They need to not be malicious gossips, talking about others meanly with a, a mean spirit, setting out to, to say things that would harm other people. So not malicious gossips, it says, but temperate also. I think that speaks to the alcohol issue, the self-control issue, and they must be faithful in all things. Same thing. They must hold to the doctrines of the faith. They need to be sound, solid Christians. So that's the deacon's wives. Now, verse 12, the deacon's household. Look at what it says. Deacons must be husbands of only one wife and good managers of their children and their own households. There's more than one thing there. There's a grouping of things there. But this one gets down to a situation that was very difficult. Um, it is very difficult for the church, I would say. Husband of one wife. The best, most Bible scholars would say the best translation of that is this is a one-woman kind of man. A one-woman kind of man. But I will tell you, this little phrase, the husband of one wife, has been interpreted and understood in a variety of ways. And people practice this differently across different churches. I want to read from one commentary to you. This is the Cornerstone Bible Commentary. It is not the most conservative commentary. It's not the most liberal one that you could find but it brings up some important issues that I want to talk with you about. I'm going to quote from Cornerstone Bible Commentary about this verse. It says, Regarding the phrase, the husband of one wife, it's difficult to determine exactly what Paul meant by this. He may have meant one over against multiple wives, whether serially or coinciding, but polygamy was not an accepted practice among the Greeks and Romans to whom Paul ministered. Not divorce is to be a better fit. Divorce was as rampant in that day as in ours. Married only once fits this Greco-Roman ideal called univera, once married, which is a common Greek inscription that we find on tombstones. But it is difficult to understand why this would be a qualification for leadership or for a church office like deacons. This little paragraph raises several important issues of discussion that we need to have and that I can tell you that I had with the deacons. And uh, the first issue about this is that we need to realize there are multiple ways that husband of one wife can be and has been interpreted. Number one, 
It can mean you can't be a polygamist. It, it can mean that. I will tell you, there are polygamists today, not legally so in America, but in many places where the church is thriving and growing, there are men who are married to multiple wives at once. And in different places, this has been a common practice. So it could mean that you can't be a polygamist. It could mean, some people have said, that it just means that you are faithful to your current spouse. Or it can mean not having been divorced and remarried. Some take it, what I would say, probably the two most conservative opinions about this, and you will find these in commentaries and among preachers. You'll find this practice today in places. One is, it says, even widowers who have been remarried cannot be deacons. I even read, I, I hate to say who, I think it was, it was years ago, and I just look at it and I go, man. I read one commentary that says that, and what this means is, this is a man who has only ever had sex with his one wife. So even before you came to Christ, you could not have fornicated or anything like that. And I just look at that and I go, oh my goodness. So you realize that there are a whole range of possible interpretations with this issue. All right. So you look at the whole thing, not just the husband of one wife, but look at what the entire verse says. It talks about good managers of their household, of their children, and all of those things. And here's what I would say. Given that that phrase is listed alongside being good managers of their children and their household. It also, in this passage, talks about reputation with people in the church and outside of the church. I also, the current body of deacons, have concluded what this should at least mean is that this is a person who has not been divorced and remarried, but it also must mean more than that. So in other words, just because a man has not been divorced and remarried, does that mean that they manage their household and their marriage and their children well? It does not automatically mean that, and we need to realize that. And so what our understanding is, and I will tell you, this has been, in general, for all of church history, the way that most of the church has interpreted these verses. I will also say this. This is the way that this church has always interpreted this passage and applied it. So here at First Baptist Church, Valley Springs, the belief is from this passage that it would exclude a person from both being a pastor or a deacon if they have been divorced and remarried. Okay? So the question is, now listen, I don't want to be insensitive to this. And, and when we get to this in 1 Corinthians, I'm going to share some things with you. Um, this is a sensitive topic. And what it should not do and what I don't want it to do is somehow induce shame all of a sudden with anybody who has experienced divorce and or remarriage. Because this is what we know. Jesus welcomed anyone into the kingdom who was willing to come humbly for salvation and for forgiveness, regardless of past sins regardless of anything if we are willing to humble ourselves and come before the Lord and seek his forgiveness he is willing and so people who have experienced divorce and remarriage 
should in no way be seen or considered? Or should you feel, if that is you, that you are somehow a second-class Christian citizen? It is not that at all. Jesus accepts and forgives. And what I would say is that Christians who are divorced and remarried, though we do believe that that would exclude that person from the pastorate or from being a deacon, it does not exclude such a person from meaningful service in the church, exercising Christian leadership in various capacities. Every Christian in the church should be serving. That's what I would say to that. But we need to realize that Jesus did uphold lifelong marriage as the ideal. And listen, I know that divorce happens for a lot of reasons, too many to count, too many to even know. And sometimes there are people who experience divorce and they absolutely have no choice. They are given no choice in the matter. Oftentimes divorce occurs before someone comes to Christ. And so that question enters into the equation. But Jesus did uphold the ideal that marriage would be a lifelong institution. He upheld that. But he also upheld grace and forgiveness for those who had experienced divorce and or remarriage. So in the end, here's the thing. The Bible doesn't give us a reason. The end of that commentary says, it is hard to understand why this is given as a requirement. And I would say, amen. It's difficult. It is a difficult one. And the Bible doesn't give us a clear answer about that. But I would say this to you. If we're committed to being biblical Christians, part of what that means is we go to the Bible and we do our best to understand exactly what it means and then by faith we walk it out. Even when it is difficult, even when it goes counter to the culture, even when it's about difficult topics. In the end, the Bible doesn't give us a reason why. But that's what it says about the requirements for deacons. So let me finish with this. Verse 13. Deacons do make a difference in the life of the church. There could be some of you hearing this right now and thinking, I hope nobody nominates me to be a deacon. Because I will tell you, being a deacon means sacrifice and service. It means giving up of your time and your desires and what you might want to do to serve other people. It's not the kind of position that's normally going to get you out in front of people and get your name well known. You're not going to receive any financial rewards for it. So why would you want to be a deacon? And I think it's interesting that Paul finishes with this as it concerns deacons. Verse 13, those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a high standing and great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. A faithful deacon who has served well will make a difference in a church and in that community. Though deacons do not serve for accolades or appreciation or praise, I'll tell you, when a deacon serves well, that's what that says in verse 13, when a deacon serves well, 
they radiate Christ-likeness, which is self-sacrifice, humble service, and love to the other, even when it costs. And so deacons cannot help if they're doing that. They cannot help but impact other people. Other people that look and say, man, why would that guy do that? Why would, why would he give up all that time he could be hunting or all that time he could be out doing what he wants to do? Why would they continue? Why would they get there at church early and do those things? Why? Because it shows the love of Christ. And people need to see the life of Christ lived out in other people. And deacons are able to do that. And then it says, deacons will develop a deeper confidence in the faith and in Christ Jesus. I think, I think about it this way. Someone who's serving continually is going to experience the joy that Jesus says. He says it's more blessed to give than to receive. And the deacon who serves well will be blessed continually and will continually experience how wonderful the church is, how wonderful Jesus is, and how his teachings are true. And so deacons do make a difference, and being a deacon makes a difference for the life of those who serve. And I would say this, that is generally true across any kind of Christian service. When you give of yourself, you will be strengthened in your faith, and you will help others be strengthened in theirs. Before coming to First Baptist Church Valley Springs, I've served in various capacities in, in three other churches. And I have served alongside some amazing deacons who have been men of sacrifice, men of integrity, men of spiritual strength, and I have learned much and been blessed by their lives. And I will tell you, coming to Valley Springs, I have been blessed by the deacons here who do amazing works of service, almost always unknown. But they are men of service. They are men of character and men of spiritual strength. Men who bless this church. Amen? Amen. We've got some great deacons. And we are seeking the Lord's will and the will of the church to add more deacons in the days ahead. We're going to give you further details about what this looks like, but it'll be a process that includes nominations uh, for potential deacons, for candidates, and business meetings. And then after that, because verse 10 says that deacons must first be tested, we think that this gets walked out in a couple of ways. Uh, so potential deacons will meet with myself and the group of deacons, and there'll just be a time of, I think it says, counsel that is talking about what it means to be a deacon and asking them about their perceived qualifications for uh, serving in that capacity. There's also a time of waiting. We think maybe that's part of what it means to be tested as these names have emerged. We're praying and we're waiting and we're thinking about maybe we're putting in, them into roles of, of uh, tentative service for consideration Part of that testing means then we bring these names back before the congregation for final approval. And then also there is the ordination of deacons. So ordination, where we find that is, back in Acts chapter 6, once those men were selected, it says the apostles laid their hands on them. It was a transfer of authority to them, and it was recognized. So there was an official process. We also do that 
in the life of this church, deacons who are going to serve must be ordained. And generally that's a special service, but also in that service there's usually a time of what I would call public testing. At that point, we let them share their testimony, and there can also be questions from the congregation before a man is finally ordained and appointed to service as a deacon in the church. So I think it's an exciting thing to think about the church identifying new deacons. I want to ask you to take this seriously and prayerfully in the days ahead and weeks ahead to be praying about study these qualifications. See who the Lord may place on your heart, who you think would be men who are qualified to serve. Also, men, I would invite you to pray about if your name emerges being willing to serve your Lord and this church in that capacity if all of the other things fall into place. All right? Well, let me pray, and then I'm going to invite John to come and do some announcements and our birthday and anniversary uh, recognition. Bow with me, please. Father, today in the life of this church, we know that you are working. You're at work, and you have been at work. You have brought people of all different gifts and abilities and backgrounds together to serve in various capacities, none of them unimportant. Lord, I am thankful for every member of this church who serves you with all of their heart, all their soul, mind, and strength. But in these days, Father, we pray that you would guide our church with all wisdom, with all grace, and all humility as we seek your will and the will of the congregation and ordaining and appointing new deacons for service. Realizing, Lord, that you have called for these offices and roles in your church. And to the best of our ability, Father, we are grappling with your word to understand what this looks like. And we pray that you would help us. Continue to help us to be in love and in unity and to walk in wisdom. We pray that you would supply the laborers in your harvest field, Lord. We pray tonight, today for that, for laborers, for workers in the harvest. Father, also today, we want to begin to pray for two weeks out, for a day of hope, for a day where we're focusing on reaching others, with the gospel of Jesus, I just want to pray that you would work a miracle, the miracle of salvation in the hearts of those who need your love, your forgiveness, and your hope. Father, today, we pray that you would not wait two weeks for that, but that even this morning, that you would help any who may be here or listening to have eyes to see and ears to hear the gospel the truth that Jesus saves sinners, regardless of background or any other thing, that you help and you save and you redeem those who call upon the name of Jesus. So Lord, work what only you can work in the hearts of people who need hope, who need life, who need love and salvation. And we pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.